Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 154 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, today we have our final, the seventh episode in our Kickstart series. And today is a final Q&A. So I did a second Q&A within the challenge uh, to answer any questions at the end and make sure everybody had all the information they needed moving forward. And that's what we're covering and what I'm sharing with you today. So I want you to listen to this, even if the question isn't directly something that you deal with, I want you to listen and see what you can take away from it. Because often when we're hearing other people get helped, and this is true in my group coaching programs too, um, often even if the topic isn't directly applicable to you, there are elements of the coaching, there are elements of the teaching that you can take away and apply to your own journey. So that's what I want you to be thinking about as you listen to this episode. Now, don't forget to access the free course that gives you additional materials that help support you in all these changes that I've been talking about during this Kickstart series. Head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash kickstart. That's weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash kickstart to access the free course. You just register for it and then you'll get an email login information sent to you uh, for the online course portal. All right, let's get to the Q&A. Hello, guys. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the final session in uh, the Weight Loss Kickstart Challenge. So this is the final Q&A. What this session is, is for you guys to ask me your questions. Let me know um, what you're working on, what things you want help with as we move forward. This is the final session for the challenge. Just so you know, for any of you who are thinking about joining Stress Eating SOS, there is a Q&A for Stress Eating SOS on Sunday morning, and you'll have the opportunity to hear from me all the details about the program. Uh, but also, you have the opportunity to hear from some of the current members of the program. So you'll get like a physician's experience about it too. That shows up on your calendar. Uh, but just so you know, that's the difference between uh, today and Sunday. So I hope you'll join me on Sunday as well. All right, let's get going and jump right in. Uh, there's not a lot of you guys on live right now, but let's just go get going with questions. So type in any question that you might have, either into the comment section of Facebook or the chat if you're joining me on Zoom. Uh, I want you to think you know, what are the areas of what you've learned in the challenge that are going to be a, a challenge <laughs> moving forward uh, that might get in your way? Areas where you're like, okay, it's been great with the challenge and all this extra support and these live sessions, but when I'm totally on my own, I'm a little bit worried this might happen. Those would be the situations that are really good for you to ask questions about. Uh, I'm going to start with one of the questions I got in the Facebook group. Uh, about pre-planning meals. And so the question from that was, do I pre-plan meals, like meaning plan all your food before you eat it? And then if so, how do you handle it if you don't actually follow that plan? I think there's a whole lot of different ways to do this. Um, there's a bunch of different approaches that you can look at this. If you like really firm rules, and remember any rule that you use in your weight loss, I really want you to make it from you. So it's not me giving you a rule, it's you decide that this rule works for me and I like having it, then it makes it useful for you. So if you like having rules, really firm guidelines, then you can say, I'm going to plan my food in advance and I will follow through with that plan. And that's the skill I'm going to work on. That, the piece of that though especially when you struggle with emotional or if you have binge eating or anything like that is you need to build the skill of how do you manage it when you don't follow through with that plan. 
And uh, Tam, you're even mentioning it in the chat here is the trouble with perfectionism. So if we say, yeah, I like rules, I'm going to plan all my food and I'm going to be really careful and follow through on those plans. How are you going to handle it on the eventual day? Because at some point it'll happen that you don't follow through on those plans. Um, I think thinking about it in advance is really important and coming up with an approach that lets you be curious, lets you learn from what's going on uh, so that you can, you know, use it to problem solve in the future. That's really important. The problem and the place where we might get tripped up is when we beat ourselves up for not following through with our plan. We make it mean something about us. We make it mean that we're doing it wrong or failing. And what's interesting is you could have days where you'd followed through with your plans and then one or two days that you didn't, your brain focuses on those one or two days and it totally ignores all the days where you actually did really well. It tells you you're failing and you're not doing it right when really the majority of the time you were doing it right. It's just something happened those days that got in your way. And the way through is being curious and figuring out, okay, what got in my way those days? What was it? And just constantly trying to learn about yourself uh, in those different situations. Now, your question in Facebook was, do I do that? I personally don't. I've done pre-planning food different times. Like I've used it as a tool at different points in my weight loss. I tend to not pre-plan my food on a day-to-day basis. I do do meal planning once a week for our family. So dinners I plan. And then my lunches usually are leftovers from dinner. And then my breakfast, most times I don't eat breakfast. And if I do, it's kind of like I have cheese and jerky if I'm just running out of the house getting to work. Or if I want like an actual breakfast, I usually take some low-carb waffles that I've made out of the freezer and have those. So it's almost like the way I think about the approach I've created for myself that works really well for me is it's like I have a blueprint of eating that I just apply to my days. So I do that bit of planning to have my weekly dinner plans done, but then the rest of the eating kind of just falls in around that. Like I I don't have to plan everything else. And what I do is I have that blueprint of how I feel I should be eating should be or choosing to eat might be a better way of saying it. And then when I, if I notice that I'm eating away from that blueprint a lot, then that's my cue to say, okay, what's going on here? And you know what? It's never about the food. It's like I've stopped doing my self care or I've stopped journaling. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about how busy I am and how, how much stuff I have to do. Sound familiar, guys? <laughs> it's things like that that are going on when I start eating off the blueprint. So however you decide to do your meal planning, whether you plan or not, the, what, what you want to do is just view any eating outside of that as an opportunity to learn and problem solve. Nothing goes wrong. Doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just means it's an opportunity to figure something else out. It's, you know, maybe a skill that you're still learning, maybe a new trigger that you just haven't totally figured out, but Be curious, no matter what it is. One thing I would say about planning is that sometimes we really resist planning, right? Tell me in the chats or the comments if the idea of planning your food like fills you with dread. And I think that's born of um, when we plan our food, we're not nice to ourselves when we plan our food. We plan our food in a way that is like, and Tam, you mentioned this, it's the perfectionism. So today, if I'm planning my food for tomorrow, it's pretty easy for me to be a little over perfectionist with what I'm going to eat. So I can say, oh, yeah, I'll be fine eating like just a really light salad, or I'll be fine fasting a lot longer. Um, I won't want any snacks at all this week. You know, myself today finds it really easy to make plans for myself tomorrow. But that, and that doesn't work out because myself tomorrow wakes up to those plans and it's like, wait, this wasn't a good idea. It's kind of like, you know how it's so easy to overschedule yourself. Like when you're looking at your calendar in advance and somebody says, oh, can you teach this session to the med students? Can you take this little extra call? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. That looks okay on the calendar. And then you get there and you're like, this was not a good idea this is a really crazy week. What did I do? 
it's the same sort of thing. You can wake up the next morning after you plan stuff and you can be like, well, this doesn't sound good. And then if you start your day thinking that your meals are really restricted, they don't sound very good, they're not actually what you want to be eating, what's going to happen? Like, are you actually going to follow through with that plan? And if you do follow through with that plan, how much willpower are you going to use to follow through with that plan? It's probably a lot, right? It's if what you're planning for yourself isn't kind to the version of you that actually has to follow through with those plans, that's when it takes a lot of effort. And when it feels hard, and then you keep finding yourself not doing it, and you think you must be doing something wrong. But what if the thing you're not doing quite correctly is just how you're planning? It's not in the moment where you're maybe not where you think maybe I'm not using enough willpower, or I just need to resist more. That's actually not what you need to do. Maybe you need to do more of like nicer planning for yourself. So I always talk about, and that's what we've talked about in this kickstart challenge of how could you plan things? How could you create your way of eating, your blueprint of eating in a way that you actually want to eat it? And that's been a really big thing for me in my own weight loss journey is figuring out what foods I can do that I really like to eat. Like tonight, what's on the menu plan is pork chops with asparagus and hollandaise sauce. And I've been thinking about that all day about how delicious that's going to be. And that works for me because it's low carb. And then the kids will have broccoli because they won't eat asparagus or hollandaise sauce because they're crazy. But uh, it works really well for me. And so I've learned these things. So when I eat that dinner tonight, which is very low carb dinner, it's going to be satisfying. It's going to be really tasty, but it also works for my body and weight loss. So there's no deprivation. There's no restriction. Not at all. I'm very excited about dipping my asparagus in hollandaise sauce. But I also know if I ate that dinner on a regular basis, you know, my weight I would probably go down or definitely eating like that maintains my weight. So plan in a way, if you dread planning, plan in a way that you actually want to follow through with your plans. Plan nicely for yourself. Plan like you're planning for somebody you actually like, <laughs> not planning, you know, for ourselves. We'll plan stuff that we would never plan for somebody else. Plan like you're planning for somebody else. Okay. Um, the other piece with planning, just so you know, and if you've dread it, is it really does save time. It saves time and energy. It saves decision making power by planning things in advance. And like you heard me say, I don't plan every meal, but I have this blueprint. So there's not a lot of time in the day that I'm spending thinking about food choices and trying to think, okay, what am I going to eat? What do we have in the house? Um, that's all kind of taken care of in the way I've set it up for myself. Um, and so it saves energy. If you're at every meal having to decide what you're going to eat, you know, whether or not you're going to have something on plan or off plan, what do you have in the house, all those sorts of things, it takes energy. And you do have a limited amount of decision-making capacity. And so you can run out. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, Tam, what you're saying with the perfectionism, to come back to your question, is like when you're on, you feel you can do it all. You can uh, sit through uh, food cravings and stuff. But then when you're off, everything goes. And so that's fantastic. What that says to me is that you're, you've got the skill of experiencing urges. You've got the skill of following your plans. There's just a piece of a skill that you're still working on here. And that's figuring out on these periods of time that you feel like you're off, what is it that's triggering that off? And it's problem solving that and finding solutions for that and then building the belief that you can be quote unquote on we might want to work around that, right? Like that concept of on and off um, may not be serving you. But you can kind of work on the belief that you can follow your healthy eating, that you can experience food cravings, no matter the setting. But first, you have to figure out what it is that's triggering you to kind of be off. And chances are it's thoughts. It's like probably some sort of stress that triggers something. Maybe you eat something. And then often what it is, is it's the thoughts about what you ate and making it mean that you're off and making it mean that you've kind of messed up that then triggers further eating and furthermore of being like, quote unquote, off. Um, yeah, it, it, the effort mode is kind of what I'm talking about. There is too just the 
being curious about why why are you in the effort mode um using the being in the effort mode not as a sign of like i'm messing this up but using it as a okay something's going on like something's bugging me if i'm like screw this i don't i just don't care about this right now because that's probably if you really look deeply that's probably not true like you if you're showing up to this and you're taking time out of your day for this eating healthy and working on your weight goals probably is important to you for some reason. So when your brain just says, this doesn't matter right now, we'll figure about this later. I would use that as more of a, a like a signal, uh, like kind of like your brain's waving a flag saying something's wrong. Something's bothering me. Even if it's not actually telling you that it's bothered by something like our brains often will focus on the, the eating and the food and being like, Oh yeah, I just don't want to do that right now. But the question is why? Maybe what you've been doing feels really restrictive and we need to work on thoughts around that. Or maybe it's something totally unrelated to food and your brain's just like, I can't process this and I just want to access food to help process it. But it takes that curiosity and being able to hold yourself with a bit of compassion, even when you feel like you're messing up so that you can understand and figure out what's going on. Okay, type in like if, if that didn't fully answer your question, if you have other questions, type that in Tam. And then Amanda, you said, best tip for when cravings are bad. Something to do in the moment to keep you from binging. Um, and uh, hold on a sec. I can't see your whole question here. Hold on a sec. Yeah, so you're talking about like the moment right before you end up binging. Like you're craving, you're contemplating it. And you haven't started to eat yet, right? Um, yeah, there's lots that you can do there. Uh, and inside Stress Eating SOS, um, I actually created earlier this year, I created a bonus binge eating course because I know that all this stuff matters, right? Uh, so within Stress Eating SOS, there's a course. It covers like before a binge, during a binge, after a binge. And there's meditations that go with each of it. So if you join Stress Eating SOS, I would say, listen to the meditation. Basically, this is how I think about it. If you're kind of about to have a binge, if you're having really bad cravings, and for those of you who don't uh, identify with binge eating or you know maybe aren't familiar with it, a binge is when you eat uh, more than what the average person would eat in a sitting, often feel very out of control while it's happening. And it feels very, the way people describe it to me is it's very like compulsive. It's very hard to stop once the train gets rolling. And so there's a couple things here and it depends where you catch yourself. In this, Amanda, as much as possible, I would try to focus on catching yourself as early in the process as possible and work on building that skill. So catching when the cravings first start um, versus trying to catch it right, like when you're like, that's it. I'm just going to go get something to eat. It's a little bit harder, not impossible, but a little bit harder because it's kind of like that train's getting going. The cravings themselves, especially in binging, don't really have much to do with the food. Again, view it as like a, a flag. Your brain is waving saying something's going on. Something's bothering me. And then your brain has had a lot of years depending how long you've had binge eating for maybe your whole life, maybe since you're a teenager, maybe most of your adulthood, right? Of using the food to fix things that aren't feeling good. Um, and it starts to become kind of a one note song where anything that's bugging you, your brain's like, that's okay, we'll eat, we'll try and make it better. Now, it's really important to notice, and this is true if you have binge eating or just you find yourself overeating or stress eating, your brain is not wrong that the food makes you feel better. The, your brain is right that it helps. It just helps for a very brief time. So it makes it feel better because those foods that you turn to in those moments are generally processed. They generally have sugar in them um, and they create dopamine in your brain. So you do get relief from them. The problem is, is it's short-lived. Like you guys can type that into the chat or the comments. How long does it actually last for you after you've eaten where you feel better? like minutes some people it's not even like you're not even finished the food and you're not getting the same sort of benefit from it 
But so the point is, is your it's not that your brain's trying to hurt you when you have these really intense cravings. Your brain actually thinks it's helping you. It thinks that this is the most efficient way for you to feel better and get out of the discomfort that you're in. Um, and I, I find that really helpful to recognize that, that these cravings, this eating is nothing. It's not your brain hurting you in any way. It's your brain actually trying to help you. There is good intention behind it. Because when you see the intention behind it, it's easier to come up with other ways or redirect that intention. So one way of thinking about this matter, if you notice that you're really starting to get strong cravings, reframe it and ask yourself the question, what do I really need? Some people do this like they almost talk to themselves as like a young child, like talk to your inner child type of thing. Like, you know, what do you need, honey? Almost like you talk to your kid if they're really struggling and really upset about something. Like, what do you need? What's bothering you? Ask, talking to yourself that way to figure out what is it that's driving these cravings. Um, that can be one way. Another thing is looking at the cravings and going, okay, I'm really craving food, but I know that that's actually not going to help me feel better because you've done it enough, right? It might give you a brief feeling better, but usually you actually feel worse after a binge because then there's all the beating yourself up and things like that that tend to happen afterwards. And so talking to yourself and being like, okay, I know I really want food, but my brain telling me that everything's going to be okay if I just eat isn't actually true. It's a, a thought error. What might actually work better, like I need to do something to make myself feel better. I think this is the real core when you struggle with binge eating. It's not just that you stop eating and you're like, no, I'm just not going to eat. It's you replace the eating with something else that actually works better. And you practice that over time. So it's not that you're like, I just can't eat. You go, okay, I hear you. I hear that you want something and you need something. Let's try, let's try something that's going to work better than the food. It's not that you can't eat the food. I just don't think it's going to work as well. So today we're going to try and go for a walk first. And you can do all sorts of stuff. Play with it how you think about it. You could be like, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk first. If I still really want to eat afterwards, I'll let myself have something to eat. Um, I think especially with binge eating, it's important to not have really firm like rules that I can and I can't because you might find your brain pushes back uh, against those. So thinking, okay, I'm going to try this first. And then if that, if I still really want the food, then I'll do it. So it's almost like you're creating a bit of a delay. Tell me if that helps. Um, but it's a, it is a big topic. So that's kind of my like overview, but for any of you guys who struggle with binge eating, I really do believe my program is the best program for it. I don't know of any other physician programs that focus on binge eating. And it's a real interest of mine. I have a lot of experience helping physicians and non-physicians with binge eating because I know how disruptive it can be to your life. Like all the emotional stuff that goes with binge eating can really take a lot out of you. And it, it doesn't have to be like that. We can find kindness. We can find relief. And we do that. And we talk about binge eating openly in Stress Eating SOS which may be your first experience of ever being somewhere where you can actually talk openly about it. And I think that's really, really important. Okay. Uh, Tammy said kind of PMS type eating. Yeah. Again, big topic. Also something we coach around in stress eating SOS a lot. Short version would be, I don't think there's, I don't have a specific protocol, but I do suggest to people that maybe they need to create a specific protocol for themselves. So here's what happens with PMS is, um, you know, you have this week out of every month where physically you feel different, emotionally you feel different. But especially as physicians, we don't usually let our lives change at all, right? Like, so you feel, you know, maybe more tired, maybe less emotionally resilient, however you want to describe it. And yet the schedule stays the same and we push ourselves just as hard. And what's also interesting is it's kind of this, um, we're still in a bit of a boys club in that, you know, it's not something you're supposed to even talk about or like mention that it's creating an extra struggle. Like the messaging in medicine is really that we just kind of should deal with that and move on. Uh, we shouldn't let it make us seem weak or something, right? So we keep working really hard. I think 
that in its own right can trigger overeating because then you're, you know, emotionally not feeling great. You're physically more tired, bloated, all that stuff. And then you're still working at the same pace. So you get worn out, you get more stressed, more overwhelmed than maybe you do other weeks. And those emotions can then drive eating. So that's one way that uh, like premenstrual stuff can drive overeating. I think there probably is also a physiological component where you may have different cravings when you're um, premenstrual. But with working with enough women physicians on this specific topic, I really do think when we work on the other stuff and we work on the thoughts, a lot of what seem to be really physiological drives do come down quite a bit. So it doesn't always have to feel like this where it's out of control with the premenstrual stuff. What I really like to do, my favorite thing, and we've done this, some of the um, some members from my uh, fellowship program on here, and they can comment on it. But uh, what we've done in Stress Eating SOS sometimes is we work in looking at what is a perfect week. So I like to think of the concept of a perfect period week because, uh, like I said, we, we don't give ourselves space for that week to look different. And I think that in itself drives a lot of eating. So if you do an exercise where you just brainstorm, what would a perfect period week look like if, you know, suspend judgment, suspend the rules of your life and say, if I could design the week where I'm premenstrual, what would that look like? What things would I do differently? What would I do more of? What would I do less of? And you just brainstorm, give yourself free license. And then you look at it and you go, okay, within this, what can I actually do? Like what is reasonable? And one thing that often comes up every time I do that exercise is sleep. Almost everybody says, well, I think I would probably sleep more. I'd go to bed early, um, you know, get a bit more sleep in. And so something like that might actually be part of a protocol for your premenstrual weeks is in those weeks, you go to bed a half hour earlier because that then impacts your mood and impacts your energy levels and it ultimately impacts your eating. You also can create a separate food protocol where you're like, okay, I want to, I know that on those weeks I eat, I crave different foods. I want more carbohydrates or whatever it is that you crave. And so you, you can decide, okay, so in that week where I'm premenstrual, I will have, you know, certain foods this many times a week and I'm allowed to eat it. It, it doesn't have to be this like, um, you know, you're not allowed it, but then you end up eating it. So then you overeat it because you're thinking I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyways. That kind of cycle that we all do. Um, you can be like, no, it's totally allowed. Like if I, re if I want the chocolate cake, let's use example, then I eat chocolate cake. And, but I just kind of try to keep it to twice a week or this is all just random things you can make it whatever you, whatever you think would be helpful but that's the like quick overview on premenstrual eating and how to manage uh eating around that um all right any other questions guys um I have a couple other ones here. So one would be, um, so still write into the comments if you have questions or into the chat if you're on Zoom. One would be like, what if old habits come back? So we've been really focused for these 10 days. There's been a whole lot of live content um, kind of jammed into the 10 days to make sure you guys have lots of opportunity to get support and learn this new approach of creating a customized approach to your own weight loss. Um, and uh, then there's been the, you know, the support of the Facebook group and stuff like that. So, so what then happens is if when you move away from this challenge, if old habits come back. So if you're leaving the challenge thinking, okay, I'm building momentum, I think I've got this. And then, you know, flash forward a couple of weeks, you feel like you're back to square zero, square one, sorry. <laughs> uh, all of that, I think, is normal. And I think it's really important to recognize that of course our brains go back to old habits that's what our brains are made to do we've talked about this in other sessions is our brains have had so much more practice with our old habits than these new habits so if you find old habits coming back then all you need to do is just keep redirecting yourself to the new stuff you're working on don't make it mean something bad or that you've messed up or that you've um you know done something horrible 
you just redirect yourself back. You just say, oh, of course that comes back. Of course, you know, a bit of extra stress triggered that. And then you redirect yourself back to what you're working on. And that's where having a program like Stress Eating SOS does help because you've got that support. Because sometimes I can see that and you can't. Um, because I have a more objective view of what your brain's doing when, when we talk about this stuff. So sometimes as a coach, I can say, oh, notice you're beating yourself up for that. Like, let's just redirect, refocus. Of course, it went back there. Now we just redirect here. And really, long-term weight loss is all about that. Just that redirect, redirect, redirect. Penny said, worry about slowing down your metabolism and needing to carb cycle. And then when you eat more carbs, you feel like your weight goes up. And so my question would be, do you actually have evidence that you've slowed down your metabolism? Like, where's the worry about slowing down your metabolism coming from? Are you able to type that in? Yeah. And it's probably you read it somewhere, right? Or somebody's talking about it in a Facebook group and you're like, ooh, I wouldn't want to do that. I think... um. I don't, to my knowledge, and I, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, there's no research articles saying that carb cycling changes your metabolism. I do think there has been articles that say losing weight, lower carb, you don't get as much of a dip in your metabolism as you do with the lower fat uh, for weight loss. So I would say if you feel better, like if you find your brain works better by not reintroducing the carbs and it's working for your body, then I would ask, why not just do that? Like, maybe you don't have to carb cycle. Maybe, and everybody's body's different, right? Like some people's bodies, maybe they do work well with carb cycling. But what you're saying is when you introduce the um, more carbs, your weight goes up. So to me, that would say your body doesn't do well with extra carbs. What are your thoughts about that? Um. And I think the other thing, you know, and this brings up actually one of the questions I had written down here is, do you, like, is it possible to eat a little bit of food and move on? Like, for any of you who struggle with uh, eating, where if you do start eating something like carbs or eating something with sugar, you worry that then you go out of control. Um, and it kind of, it might relate, because for some people, if you're thinking, I'm going to carb cycle, it might be you eat a little bit or intend to eat a little bit, and then you end up eating a lot. And what's really interesting is all of that relates to how you're thinking about that food. And we've talked about that in some of the other sessions, that that, that desirability, the compellingness of foods comes from how we've been thinking about it. So if you're thinking, like if we use carbs as an example, if you're thinking, I'm not allowed to eat carbs, I wish I could eat carbs, okay, I'm just going to try and have a little bit of carbs, but I really like carbs and I wish I could eat more. Well, all that thinking is probably going to lead you to eating more carbs than what you planned. I really find coming from a place of any food, and I've talked about this too, that I'm allowed to eat any food. I choose to not eat some foods very often because of specific reasons. Uh, that I've developed for myself, not that I'm not allowed to, but because I don't like how they make me feel long term, like I've noticed the impacts of them. But what that means then is if I do make the decision to eat something like with carbohydrates, it can just be that, that I just made a decision today to eat something with carbohydrates. And that doesn't mean it's going to influence anything any other days. If you notice yourself fearing certain foods or not trusting yourself around certain foods, there are thoughts there that you need to work on. Um, yeah, and so what, Penny, what you're saying is that fear over about depriving yourself and worrying about not getting enough calories. I, you know, I've been there. I think like when I started eating low carb, I worried about that. Like, oh, am I missing something? But then I'm like, you know what? When I'm eating lower carb, I'm actually listening to my body's cues versus um, when I'm not eating low carb, I, my, I don't get the same cues. I can't listen to my body's cues in the same way. Um, and so, and when I eat low carb, I know that I'm really eating fairly minimally processed food. And so I've just decided I'm okay with it. And I trust that my body's getting what it needs because I can hear its cues. And I know that the actual food I'm choosing 
is pretty healthy. And that's where I've decided to leave it. Uh, the depriving, and, and we're taught that, right? Like it's, there's a lot of conversation about lower carb eating being, uh, you know, unsustainable and de- too depriving. And I think, again, with this approach, you get to decide if it's depriving or not, or you can decide it's totally fine. Like somebody who's got celiac and can't eat gluten, people don't talk to them about how they're depriving themselves of all these gluten-containing foods. They say, don't eat gluten, you're going to get sick. It's kind of similar, like obviously not to the same degree, but you can just decide uh, that you can, um, that for you, you just choose not to eat that food and that it's fine. It's not into, um, it doesn't mean anything about being deprived, that you decide you're getting plenty of nutrients and you just make sure the food you're choosing is giving you plenty of nutrients. Um, Yeah, I don't think like you're asking Penny about like kind of tricking your metabolism to, so that it doesn't think you're starving. Any truth to that? I don't, again, I don't think it's research. Like there's some talk about that. I hear more about that with like fasts, like if you're doing longer fasts and then you want to kind of feast, like it's not fast and fast it's or fast and diet. It's like fast and feast so that your body knows it's not starving. And it's just having kind of natural periods between food. But I honestly, for any way of eating, I think it comes down to when the rubber hits the road on how does it work for your particular body. So you can try something like the science experiment and go, okay, I wonder if this will make my metabolism work differently. I'm going to try the the carb cycling. Then you try it and you see. And if it works, fantastic. Then you you have more information about how your particular body works. If you try it and you're like, I don't think this worked. I think I gained weight with it. I didn't feel as good. Then you have your information. Might work for other people, but maybe it doesn't for you. Um, yeah, and so uh, just asking about minimum or maximum calories per day. Um, so the I don't generally focus on calories. If can you tell me if you're um, Ramya? Can you tell me if you are eating any particular way of eating? Because definitely, if you're not, if you haven't tried a lower carb approach, you may want to consider it uh, and experiment with it because it, definitely hunger levels go way down on it. The problem with calories and the reason why I don't focus on them is it's a really oversimplification. Like even that. Um, you know, the math of 3,500 calories is in a pound. So if you want to lose a pound, you have to have a 3,500 calorie deficit. That was based on trying to remember the history from it. Uh, it was all, t- it was taught to all of us in med school. And I remember learning it in when I was in uh, kinesiology and undergrad. Um, but that originated from somebody in the Navy. It was, and I can't remember his name. He was a mathematician in the Navy. And it was something to do with the the Navy wanted to calculate how much food they had to keep on the boats or the submarines or something. And so he worked out math to figure that out. But it was never actually researched or proven true that within our bodies, uh, 3,500 calories means you actually lose a pound. And I think a lot of us have probably tried that and not had the math work out perfectly. What I have talked about in some of these different sessions is about the way I like to think about it is we have this black box in our body because our weight, our metabolism, our appetite, all of it is complex, far more complex than what we were ever told in medical school. So we can control inputs into this black box. So we can control what we eat, kind of the mac, you know, the macronutrient content of what we eat. Uh, we can control what physical activity we do. But then our body chooses what it does about it. And that's what ultimately gives us the output, which is, you know, what the, what our weight does, what our body composition does, how our clothes fit and stuff. Um, yeah, and so you said trying, you're trying to eat when you're hungry, but then you're not successful with that. Um, and I think it's just a skill. And what a, a big piece is figuring out for yourself, what foods can you eat? that you think will work for you for weight loss, like help you get to whatever goals you're working on, but that also satisfy you where you find you're not quite so hungry. And definitely for me, 
from a personal standpoint, that's lower carb. So if I introduce carbohydrates, like this week I've eaten a bit more. And so this morning I was like ravenously hungry. Whereas if I'm eating lower carb in the morning, I'm just, I might feel slightly hungry, but it's like nothing major. Uh, Like it's a huge difference. So playing with the different foods and figuring out for your body, which ones work best for you so that if you are trying to just eat when you're hungry, it actually does work for you. Um, some foods create more hunger. And so that would be like more of your processed foods, your um, sugar-containing foods do increase your hunger hormones. Other things that can increase your hunger hormones if you're feeling really hungry are lack of sleep, uh, stress, things like that can increase your ghrelin, which increases your physical hunger. But also it, it can increase like your... Um, more mental experience of the hunger, meaning like there's kind of an emotional overlay to that hunger sometimes too, if you're sleep deprived or uh, stressed out. Um, So I know that's not a clear cut answer and it's because I don't think a clear cut answer exists. I think people will tell you and definitely people could give you calorie ranges, um, but does that mean you're actually going to feel satisfied does it mean you'll lose the weight you want? And does it mean you'll actually be able to continue that long term would be the questions I would ask. So for some people, counting calories works. And they're like, it's easy. I'm happy with this. It works for me. Fantastic. But for other people, it doesn't work so much. And you just have to figure out, is it helpful for you or is it not? Is that what you want to do for kind of the rest of your life? Assuming that um, in order to lose weight, you need to be or in order to maintain a weight loss, you have to kind of do what you did to lose it. So does counting calories for the rest of your life work? Or do you want to problem solve and figure out another way of doing it? Uh, is how I would approach it. All right. Other questions, guys. Thank you. These are really good ones. Where are we? We're 40 minutes. Um, other question that I had is just like should you do abstinence this is a question that comes up lots of um you know as physicians sometimes we hear like stuff about food addiction sugar addiction and identify with it and then it we like okay does that mean we can never eat sugar again that are there some foods that we should just choose to never eat and in this again i come back to you Decide how it's going to work for you. So if a label like sugar addiction is helpful for you, if it makes you feel empowered, if it makes you feel like you've got more information about how your particular brain uh, relates to food, then that's great. But if it's like a heavy label for you, if it creates this, you know, feelings of shame or discomfort, then maybe it's not the right label for you. I think abstinence is totally fine. But the big thing with it, if you're thinking about doing that with any foods, like if you're saying I don't want to eat sugar, or I'm not going to eat carbs or whatever it is, the big thing is, is that it has to be your own decision. It can't be that you're, um, feel you have to, that you're not allowed. You have to own the power of that decision so that it feels the best. You have to work on your thoughts about that decision so it feels like a positive, empowered thing in your life, then it becomes easier to stick to it. What we don't want to have happen is that we tell ourselves, I can't eat that food, and then we become afraid of that food. Because the reality of our North American society is you're going to get exposed to almost every food, right? Like, especially if it's a broader category that you're trying to avoid, like sugar, there's going to be lots of times where you're exposed to it. And if you're fearful of it, you're, if you're fearful of how you respond to it, that's going to set you up to struggle with it. What I really like to do and what we coach on in Stress Eating SOS is figuring out how to trust yourself around any food. Where if you did decide that you wanted to eat something, you could, totally. And if that resulted in you having food cravings afterwards, because often that does happen. Like I definitely, if I eat something with sugar, part of me making that decision is that, okay, I'm going to have more carbohydrate cravings tomorrow or even the next day that I'm going to have to then deal with. But it doesn't mean there's something wrong. It just means that that's a normal way that my brain behaves with the carbohydrate or with the sugar. 
it's a normal part of my brain being exposed to sugar. And so if you have a selection of thoughts that let you feel empowered and able to trust yourself, if you are around that food, or if you do decide to have that food, that's when it then gets easier to just have like a bit of it and move on instead of having a bit of it and then kind of spiraling into feeling out of control around it. That feeling out of control around it relates to how you talk to yourself after you've eaten it. It relates to your beliefs about your ability to choose to not eat any food. There's a whole bunch of different thought type things that go into that. But we're always working on how do you build confidence? How do you build uh, trust with yourself in any food situation? Because if you can trust yourself in any food situation, then, you know, losing weight's not a big deal because you can decide what you're going to eat and stick to it, even if other food kind of floats through your environment, which it often does. Um, And there's lots of different ways that you can do that, but a lot of it comes down to how you're thinking. So it's not just learning how to resist food, it's changing how you're thinking about the food so that you don't have to resist it. So you can be around food and just not be bothered. I've talked about this on the podcast is my girls, I have twins that are 11, and they love to bake right now. And so often, like right now, there's a big bag of chocolate chip cookies that are sitting on our counter. They bake, but they don't eat a ton of it. So often, it's just sitting there for days. And I've had to build the skill of just being okay around it. Like I, I don't have an urge to go dig into that bag of chocolate chip cookies, even though I see it multiple times in my day. I've just changed how I think about them. So they just don't bother me. And that's the power of the coaching. It's we're never aiming to make food changes for, by hanging on for dear life. We're always working on building that ease. There's a lot more sense of ease if I'm just not bothered by the bag of chocolate chip cookies on my counter than when I'm making dinner and cleaning up from breakfast, doing all the things that we do. Um, it's There's ease around it. It's not that I'm putting extra effort in to not eat those cookies. And that's the power. That's the difference with the coaching approach. And that's what we work on uh, inside Stress Eating SOS when we're doing our coaching sessions. Um, Any other questions, guys? I'll give you a couple minutes. While you're typing it in, I'll let you know, um, so Stress Eating SOS opens up tomorrow. No not tomorrow, Saturday, is when the registration opens. It's only going to be open for five days. So there's a limited time to join. Uh, But there's some really fun bonuses. Like if there's a brand new course that I've just created just in the last days, the people that are in my fellowship program uh, just got access to it this week uh, called The Catalyst. And so I'm excited about this program because the reason why I made it was often people in the coaching program will say, you know what, um, I really like the coaching sessions. I find it really helpful, but then I lose focus. Life gets in the way. Um, and so the Catalyst program are these short little audio clips, like motivational talks uh, that you can fit into the busiest of days. They're only five minutes long. You can listen while you brush your teeth or while you unload the dishwasher, whatever you're doing. Um, and the, the point of them is that they keep your brain focused on where you're going. It's so easy to get distracted in our brains. And when we lose focus with our brains, that's when we start to run into trouble with our eating and with our self-care and all that stuff. And so having this catalyst program where you have 30 different uh, of these talks, meant to be like 30 different days, where you can just listen to it and it gives you an intention to focus on through the day. So you keep going in the direction that you want to go, even when the days are busy. Um, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. So I'm super excited about that. And that is going to be available for anybody who joins the first day. So on Saturday, if you join, that's a bonus that you'll get access to. Uh, and it's, uh, I don't have a ton of feedback yet, but I know it's good stuff from having recorded it. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. All right. Any other questions before we wrap up? All right. Well, I would like to thank all of you for joining me in this challenge. I hope it's been really helpful for you. I hope that you it's opened your mind to a different approach to weight loss, that it is possible to lose weight and enjoy the process, and that that actually is what makes it sustainable. Um, I really hope that you'll consider joining me in Stress Eating SOS because I, 
I'm very proud of the program. I know it'll make a difference to your life and to your weight. Uh, but if you have any questions, post them into uh, the um, Facebook group. I'll still be around. Happy to answer them. Uh, Tam, you're asking what the investment is. So Stress Eating SOS is $2,500 for the three-month program. Um, and that includes a lot of coaching sessions. It includes some special workshop sessions that are new to this group. Uh, it includes a library of resources, uh, as well as uh, guided meditations, the bonus binge eating course, and then also bonus guest coaching. So there's a whole lot uh, piled into that three-month program. And on Saturday, if you watch your email, there'll be emails coming out with the registration page, and there's like all the details on the registration page. All right. Have a fantastic day, guys. Thank you so much for joining me in this challenge. It's been my pleasure to coach you through the last 10 days. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. We're all your questions answered. If you have any lingering questions about this kickstart process, about the material I've covered, send me an email, info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. I do answer every email that I get. Um, tell me what your questions are. I can help you via email or Maybe one day it'll actually become a podcast episode. If I think it's a good question, I often will make an episode about it to answer it. Uh, So send me an email, info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And don't forget to access the course, weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash kickstart to get additional materials to help you apply everything I've taught you in this kickstart series Uh, to your own weight loss journey and get the most results, the most weight loss that you can, the most change in your eating out of what I've taught you over this series. All right. I hope that you've really enjoyed this series. If you did, make sure you share it with somebody that you think might also enjoy it. Um, There's a lot of information in here that I know lots of physicians need. So let's get it out and share it. Also, if you have time to leave a review for the podcast, it does help the podcast get found. You can leave the review on any of the podcast platforms that you use. And while you're there, don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button so you get all these new episodes as soon as they're released. All right. Have a fantastic day, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.